BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We have another day where we're going to, another episode where we are going to be talking about what is the big story of the day, and it's been the big story of the last week and last couple weeks, and I'm not sure there's uh, much sign that that's going to change, David. Yeah, that's true, Josh. I mean, we've been basically immersed in it for, yeah, like you say, the last couple weeks. I Two mean, and a half weeks? Is this, when? Yeah, it's coming up on three. Okay. Yeah. So joining us today, Josh Kavensky and Kate Riga. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. Good. <laughs> trying, to, trying to keep your heads above water, basically. Yeah. Treading furiously. Uh, so yeah, before we before we dig into yeah, the we'll Ukraine right story. Talk about uh, the, the second most important thing going on <laughs> in the world, which is Grady's Cold Brew Iced Coffee, which is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. It's now shipping all of its liquid products nationwide. Now everyone has access to all of the products that made Grady's famous. 32-ounce bottles of New Orleans-style concentrate, 42-serving bag-in-a-box, and even single-serve bottles. Drink it straight, mix in your favorite milk, or spike it for a caffeinated cocktail. Grady's is brewed and bottled daily at their brewery in the Bronx, so bottles ship cold for peak freshness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. You know, Josh, I don't, I don't know if you saw on Slack over the weekend, but I was at a Broadway show on Friday. Not, oh, yeah, I saw not, that. Not something I do very often, <laughs> but uh, at the concession stand... For seven dollars, you can get a cup of Grady's cold brew iced coffee. That's like that's like a pretty, that's a, that's a flex placement <laughs> yeah. for an iced coffee. A prestige, product, yeah, a prestige product like, placement. Like, seven dollars? Does it come with a car? Well, you know, it's like captive audience <laughs> prices kind of thing. You know, yeah, it's better than like a twenty dollar gin and tonic or something like that's that. True. Well, even yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh, yeah, all those things that when you're go- at a place like that, yeah. it's like twenty bucks for like right. a mixed drink or something like that. I'm just all not right. sure an eight eight o'clock curtain call is quite when you're wanting to <laughs> indulge in a nice cold Caffeinate brew, up. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Well, it depends who you are. I mean, for me, I mean, I literally drink coffee before I go to bed. <laughs> Do you? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're the target uh, Well, I think I also have uh, like undiagnosed ADHD. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm kind of serious, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's, you know, uh, stimulants work differently. Sure. Yeah, people, no, that so. makes sense. Yeah. All right. So lots to get to. Uh, just this morning... Kate, you were on the early shift as always. Uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, was in Rome and confirmed for the first time that he, in fact, was on the call that President Trump made to the President of Ukraine. Tell us, kind of, set the scene. What was his kind of tenor and mood, and and kind of how did that play when he was speaking to reporters there? Yeah, he kind of came to this to the stage pretty prickly off the bat. One of the American reporters asked you know, a, a pretty extensive question. And he made some jab about, I'll answer parts four through seven now, and then I'll go back to the beginning. So he kind of came out hostile, but he addressed the call thing very quickly. You know, he said, yeah, I was on the call and then immediately kind of transferred into, this has been very consistent with what our policy with Ukraine always has been. 
But, you know, it really throws into stark relief. He had a, an interview on ABC just 10 days ago. And, you know, you can't, he was too slippery to say that he outright lied. But he, during the interview, he made it sound abundantly clear, like, well, I read off a statement that the Ukrainians put out or, you know, I, I saw a report on the whistleblower complaint. But he really just bent over backwards to distance himself well, didn't from he the actually, call. Didn't he actually say, like, I'm, uh, he may have used the word report, but... I, I, he basically said, oh, I, didn't, I haven't seen the report. And I thought he was saying right. there, referring to like what, what people are calling the transcript. But he actually said explicitly, oh, I haven't seen the such and such, which I guess he's saying now is I didn't say I wasn't on the call. Mm-hmm. I just didn't yeah. see the report. Right. So it's like, like yeah. it's very Weasley. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's as verbal, as many verbal contortions as you could fit into one answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. On a side note, I'm not sure. Has anyone seen an explanation for why Sebastian Gorka is on this trip with Pompeo besides just kind of doing a radio show? Well, no, I haven't, but there, there's, there's a big question, like who paid for his seat? I mean, he was flying on the government plane. Wasn't he like, right. He said he was like, on the air force jet with yeah, Pompeo. Like, so yeah, I, I kind of saw it as like, you, you know, there, there's a, there's a, a, uh, an episode of succession, the, the HBO show where the patriarch, uh, Logan, has Kendall makes him go with him to see this bereaved family. And if you know the backstory in succession, Kendall actually had a role in getting the kid killed. Yeah. So it was sort of this like, you're with me kind of thing. <laughs> like, you know, just, just with nothing said explicitly. And I kind of, when I first saw it, I kind of, I don't know. I, and I wasn't sure which, which direction it was coming from. Like, was it, was it, was it Pompeo saying like, I'm on, you know, team Trump forever. I'm taking Gorka with me as sort of like a, as like a badge of Trumpism oh. or whether Trump said like, why don't you take Gorka as a sort of like, you know, to pull him in, you know, kind of, I own you kind of thing, but it was weird. Like or what the hell? Maybe yeah. Pompeo is just in the market for fish oil supplements. I mean, yeah, <laughs> well, that's kind of, yeah. that's Gorka's yeah. main, yeah. main business Source these of revenue. days. So anyways, Pompeo in Rome, nominally for state business, but Josh Kavensky kind of brings up other trips Bill Barr has made to Italy in kind of recent months and in the effort to basically try to discredit the Mueller probe. I mean, the Ukraine scandal has kind of taken on this slightly other, I don't know, arm in a way or the stories with Biden and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about Bill Barr's summer of travel, what he's been up to as he's jet set it around the around the globe, basically. So one thing I think that's worth pointing out is that last week when all the news broke about the, uh, you know, record of the call and the complaint, um, a lot of the allegations kind of went to Bill Barr. Like, I mean, Trump uttered, I think, in the same breath to the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, like, you, you need to talk to my attorney, Rudy Giuliani, and also my attorney general, Bill Barr. Um, and so there was a delay in Barr responding, in part because he wasn't in the U.S. when that was released. He was in Rome. And so what came out this week was that the reason he was in Italy was because he was uh, he's personally overseeing or personally conducting this investigation um, with the Connecticut U.S. Attorney John Durham. It's unheard of for like an attorney general to personally be gathering evidence or just like overseeing like the details of a case like this. They rarely get into the details of any case at all. They're supposed to be setting policy. It's a busy job. So the idea that he's like just taking a few weeks off from the Justice Department to travel around the world and do this is like. Absurd. Um, and if you go into the details of it, so he was in London in July, uh, where he reportedly, according to The Guardian, met with uh, British officials. And it was like, and it was July 29th, actually. So it was a couple days after the call of Zelensky and five days after Mueller's testimony before Congress, if you just want to place that in your like, listeners' timelines. But um, 
we met with British officials and was pressing them supposedly for information about the uh, origins of the Mueller investigation. And last week he was in Italy where he was supposedly looking into this guy, Joseph Mifsud, this Maltese professor who first tipped off George Papadopoulos, the coffee boy, foreign policy aficionado, um, who later like told you know the Australian diplomat in London to uh, that the Russians had dirt in the Clinton campaign. So, I mean, it's his travels track closely with like what's known about the origins of the Mueller investigation. Um, and also track closely with like certain conspiracy theories that the right has been propagating about the origins of it, um, which are also relevant, I think, to what's going on. And then with the with the uh, the Australian diplomat, who I think yeah. was was it's uh, he's not an unknown person in Australian politics. I think he was the opposition leader, maybe twenty years ago or something like that. So he's he's like a you know kind of a former political bigwig, even though he was never prime minister. And we also know, I mean, I don't, I'm, it's not clear to me, we know um, if anybody's visited Australia, but they've also been sort right. of pushing on Australia and that yeah. whole, so it's that too. And one of the interesting things about it is that, you know, it, it doesn't actually seem like Trump is necessarily directing this element of it. It really seems like Barr is directed, from the reporting, it seems that Barr is, direct, is behind it. So, right. for example, in the reporting around Trump's phone call with the Australian prime minister, where he like... Uh, you know, supposedly urged the Australian Prime Minister to cooperate with this investigation. Uh, the reporting suggests that it was Barr who urged Trump to do that. Right. And even the, the DOJ confirmed that and said right. that it was at Barr's request, which in itself is, I mean, it, I don't know how frequently we in the past, I don't know how often in the past we've gotten admissions that the president did something because like that, because the attorney general asked. I would say too, you know, you mentioned you mentioned before that it's, it's, it's uncommon for an attorney general to be like directly over, I mean, that's an understatement. I would say it's even relatively uncommon for a U.S. attorney to be doing it. Now, a U.S. attorney yeah. would probably oversee, but the U.S. attorney wouldn't go to Rome. The U.S. attorney would probably send an FBI agent, maybe an assistant U.S. attorney. So, like, the whole thing is, is yeah. wild. And it's weird, too, because, I mean, there are, like, real... I mean, there's there are fixed, like, international protocols for how you move evidence between countries. And so the idea that Barr is, like, getting on this plane is just personally going to, like, listen to a recording or, you know, get, like, a document and bring it back to the U.S. Like, it's not clear if that would even be admissible in court. Like, it, it's very weird. If there is a court case, I mean, it's very weird. Like Right. I, I guess the one thing that... that and, and I'm sort of looking to see this in the reporting, both in the emphases of the reporting, but also, you know, the facts that come out of the re- reporting. There's a lot of talk about, well, they're looking into the origins of the Russia probe. But what they're really talking about here is, I think, talking about the Mueller, you know, the Mueller probe itself. They're basically, th- th- what they're trying to get at here is that Mueller and the people who work for him were involved in this conspiracy against Trump. Now, some people say, well, this, this is you know, the stuff before Mueller got involved. But Mueller takes over an investigation, at least at the beginning, has working for him a lot of the people who were there from the very, you know, from the very beginning of it. Um, in the process of that two-year investigation, they're getting deep into, you know, Papadopoulos, Mifsud, all all this kind of stuff. So it's already, I mean, Mueller looked at the origins of the investigation very close to do the investigation. So either he's in on it or there's no there there. And so that's one part of it. And I don't think people quite get this. this the attorney general is is going to other governments and trying to get them to buy in to the idea that the U.S. intelligence agencies and this special counsel were like plotting against the president. And I, I really think what they're, the, the sort of the end game in here, they're trying to undermine the very idea that Russia even 
interfered in the 2016 election, which is which is wild. And, you know, I mean, the so the allegation from the right that's kind of been going on since Mueller was, I mean, appointed, was that, you know, the whole thing, the whole Trump-Russia investigation began as like a deep state operation by Western intelligence agencies to entrap the Trump campaign. And that's how it all began. So George Papadopoulos for them is a test case of that, where they allege that this Maltese professor, uh, Joseph Mifsud, was actually, he wasn't like a Russian cutout. In fact, he was like a Western intelligence agent. And he was sort of deployed to like entrap Papadopoulos. And Papadopoulos fell for it. But that's the real origin. So like, right. yeah, as you're saying, I mean, it really, you know, we don't know exactly what bars after if you're legitimately conducting some other examination of the origins of the probe, you would probably want to find uh, Mifsud and Papadopoulos and all right, these people. Right, right. But it does seem like that's where he's going. Yeah. Well, it's also, uh, you know, one question that came that I think was a legitimate question in the Mueller probe is... Like I, I think I have the details of this right. Dur- at the be- in the early months of the Mueller investigation, Mifsud was actually briefly in the United States. Yeah. Then he left, and they seemed to kind of say, like, "Well, he left. What what can we do?" I mean, and we're he, not really sure where he's at now, right? No, he he disappeared after his name became but public. The U.S. has yeah. a lot of like investigative muscle. <laughs> like someone, someone must know. Kind yeah, of. It, it, well, they they did seem somewhat passive in saying, "Oops." So he's gone. Daily Beast had this report yesterday from some Italian journalists um, where they talked about what bars and, you know, you should, I think listeners should take this with a grain of salt. Um, like we're talking about this offline a little bit, but like we're basically Barr and Durham supposedly listened to a tape deposition of Mifsud um, when they were in Rome in like some Italian ministry. And the deposition they listened, listened to was Mifsud after he disappeared, um, I guess, applied for like Italian witness protection. And it was a deposition in which he stated the reasons why he believed himself to be in danger and therefore warranted like witness protection. Um, And that's, you know, relevant to their investigation for whatever reason. But I'm not sure, you know, how much faith we can really put in this report. But still, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, from my experience, I mean, there was about 15 years ago, I spent like almost a year reporting on a story that was an intelligence based story that largely centered on Italy. And like, I found out during that period that for all the the shortcomings of of the sort of the print press, you know, kind of newspaper type press in the United States, that like all of the Italian papers and most of the British papers were frequently running stories that were planted by intelligence agents. I mean, <laughs> like basically you read something in the Italian or or British press. I kind of the Guardian is sort of the one example that I that I was going to ask is that kind yeah, of the exception they, to yeah, the rule? Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they seem to operate differently. But like you know, the Times of London. I mean, a lot of them are just like, it, you know, it's a it's a different world. Yeah. So who knows? So what's the the point with this with Barr's travels and with him kind of putting himself into the middle of this? Is it to set the stage for twenty twenty that? That Russia could interfere again. I mean, what's the point now of discrediting the Mueller report? I mean, it seems like old hat at this point. Right, because Trump, sorry to just jump in quick, Trump said no collusion, total exoneration, right? I mean, it, at I least mean, at it, first from the Mueller report, he was kind of celebrating its conclusions. It's also, I just feel it's a bygone conclusion at this point, it feels. You know, it's funny. I, I'm actually writing a post about this now, and I think the usual idea is... He wants vindication. You know, he doesn't want to just like, I didn't get caught. Like I was set up. I'm a victim here. It is, I didn't just beat the rap. That he wants vindication. He wants payback. He wants to go after the people who put him in this situation. But none of those things are really, it, it doesn't hold up. Because 
you know, we know that the Mueller report basically said, look, there was all this weird stuff going on, but there's just not enough to make a legal case. It's inconclusive. Set aside the obstruction stuff. That, so certainly for Trump, that's good enough to say no collusion, exoneration, you know, it was all, it was, it was, none, none of it was, none of it was true. Um, and on the payback front, I mean, he fired James Comey. He has this very pliant inspector general at the Justice Department who wrote this scathing, you know, report about Comey. They had this other report that led to, uh, you know, Andrew McCabe, the number two at the FBI, uh, being kind of left hanging for months now about whether he's going to be indicted. So, like, there's a lot of payback already happening. So, like, what is going on here? And to and I think what's going on here, and it goes back to what we've learned about this Ukraine stuff, that, yeah, Biden, the Biden stuff is involved, but where it started and what seems to be at least a co-equal part of it is to exonerate Paul Manafort. And that's even more. Like, who cares? That dude's in jail for the rest of his life. He's not like He's Trump. like 70 years old. Yeah, he's not Trump's son or something like that. Like, it's I like, don't think Trump would care even if he was. Well, but that see, that's, that's the thing. I really... I don't even know where this goes, but this is like with the with the Biden stuff, you say like, okay, he wants to be reelected. He sees Biden as a threat. He uses his power to kind of, you know, attack Biden. It's like, corrupt but explainable. Yeah, exactly. It's totally the logic makes total sense. But again, why trying to kind of exonerate Paul Manafort? There's something this all goes back to the Russia stuff, and I don't know exactly how. Um, like, the the most... I don't know exactly how, but the explanation that it's just he wants vindication and payback, he already has vindication by his terms. That's it, Yeah, that's yeah. exactly how this whole thing has struck me. And, like, you know, the idea that he wants to discredit the Mueller report, it's like, he does it day in, day out. The people who like him believe that. The people who don't never did. It's just... That just does not seem to be a meaty enough explanation to me. Yeah. I, do, I do wonder if they believe their own, like, I mean, if, 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 if they're believing what they're selling. Like, I mean, if Trump, like, really believes that he was the victim of, like, a deep state campaign, let's say, then I mean, he would have a sense of grievance that would, I think, animate what's going on. I do, th- I do think at some level he, I think he believes that in this sense, that it, and you, you, you can sort of see it now where he's attacking the whistleblower, you know, attacking all these people. The idea that, you know, he's president. That's sort of like if you buy a company and you find out the people at the company are still working for the old guys or still are, are not kind of on board, like, what are you talking about? Like, I own the company. It's, it's my company now. The idea that, that there are people who are not, who are doing things that are not on his direct orders and even working, you know, at cross purposes is, is totally alien to him. So I think that is... You know, so there is that kind of like the state is the deep state. The fact that there are some people who won't do what he what he wants because it's against the law, that is kind of the deep. Or would even investigate him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why why you investigate? I own the company. That that at some level, that's that's the thing. But like, again, the, the bigger question here is like with Bill Barr. Like, on the one hand, you're like, why is he acting like a criminal? But even like let's step back from sort of like being a criminal like can't he see like like can he go to trump said dude you beat the rap like it's it's done move the fuck on well yeah and also i mean he's he's exposing himself to an awful lot of risk you know and he doesn't seem to me to be a man who's 
blinded by his unfettered loyalty to Trump. So what what's in it for him? Does he really think Trump can propel him to enduring, you know, fame or stability or blah, No, it's true. He was already attorney general once before, right? A sort of a carryover attorney general, yeah. but yeah, good enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, it, yeah, yeah, he's done it twice. I mean, you would imagine what follows from his administration work in the best case scenario was a life of lucrative private practice work, right? I mean... But he already had that. Yeah. He was already kind of a consummate sort of DC power lawyer. You can make millions and millions doing that. All the press, you know, all the... He kind of... He'd sort of already maxed out on that. And I think that's been a question for a while. Like, what ex- Like, what is... What is... What's in it for... I mean, my basic sense with him is that he is another... 70-year-old white guy who watches a lot of Fox News. Yeah, I think like, right. it's, it's in a way that, that yeah, exactly. Yeah. In a way that really I think explains a lot of this. If you're Trump and you're spending hours a day watching Fox News and it just kind of feeds it's this feedback loop that feeds itself. Trump gets more aggrieved by it. Fox feeds more kind of, you know, wild just chatter and it goes on and on. I do I do think that that is, you know, we kind of people kind of think Oh, Fox News is keeping all those kind of like, you know, middle-aged guys in the Midwest sort of gunned up about all these grievances. And the, but when you see how Trump took over the Republican Party, like they're watching it too. Yeah. Bill Barr's watching it too, and that's why he's Bill Barr. But it is sort of like the inmates running the asylum. I mean, that's But even it, it it's it's got to be that at a basic level, but even with that, right. you're like, "All right, you're going cuz it, it, it's some of this stuff is so whacked that like I mean think about it he is okay so the US is the obviously the dominant superpower in the western world has been for 60 or 70 years is the dominant global power for a quarter century it has liaison relationships with all the kind of the allied intelligence services all that you know all that kind of stuff so he's going to like Italy and so these are people who have long-standing professional ties, whatever, with the CIA, with all this kind of stuff. And he's basically saying, the CIA says this. I don't think so. What do you have to say? <laughs> That's weird. That's weird. What are they going to say, right? Even, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And I don't know what he thinks comes of it. I mean, I don't know if he thinks that maybe, like, he'll go and ask and he'll kind of, not, nothing too much will come up. And he'll go to Trump and say, oh, you know, I ran it up the flagpole and nothing <laughs> yeah. really happened. But it's just so weird that he would be personally involved then, right? Because, yeah, you'd want to delegate it. If, 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 if that was your plan, right, you would delegate it to somebody way down, like, the, the, the pipe. I mean, yeah. That's, yeah. Just, that's the biggest question to me is just he is putting himself at, at the center. Like, whatever way this goes, he is in, inextricably linked to it. You know, he's just he's willing to be like, oh, I'll go. I'll talk to them in person. I will be your conduit. And it, it just he it seems just too different than your usual Trump lackey for that to make sense to me. But you have the same thing with Pompeo. I mean, he's kind of clearly on the line for this, although he's a much less... I'm sort of buying into the Bill Barrism by saying he's a much less substantial figure. I mean, he was in Congress for a few terms, and then he, you know, became Trump's bud, and he became CIA director and stuff. But, yeah, at this point, they're all kind of pretty deeply implicated in this so yeah i don't but again i think the big thing is why is this whole thing happening why is he sort of angled the entire administration 
to sort of getting foreign countries to buy into these conspiracy theories when, again, he already beat the rap. And I don't think we have a good explanation for that. I don't have. But I mean, it's also weird because you're right. It did bring the Mueller stuff way back into the headlines. Like, I mean, it was basically, I mean, it wasn't focused on news coverage probably like four months before this happened. And I mean, this is single-handedly just like brought back. Like, Well, and it's also, I mean, you know, that basic sense of kind of like, oh, Democrats, you know, kind of put two years into Mueller, all their hopes dash, blah, blah, blah. You know, there was this yeah. kind of sense it really was like a smackdown especially from trump especially speaking of Barr, when his letter characterizing the report was the only thing out there for a week or two that was the only thing people were reporting basically the sort of the logical explanation here is one that i have a hard time believing but what i what i and 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 josh this is you know with your with your experience in ukraine i'm wondering what you what you think about this these basic kind of conspiracy theories, the, the, this network of stories that they're kind of pushing are all things that started out in these like Russian propaganda channels two or three years ago. Yeah. And like, okay, yeah, what? Like, how, where does that come from? I, I suspect, all I can figure here is that they're trying to line up a pardon for Manafort, which obviously begs a series of questions. And Rudy kind of, you know, Manafort kind of says, oh, look up these six friends of mine in, in Ukraine and, and they'll tell you what's up. I mean, that sounds kind of wild itself, but I but that does seem like what happened. Yeah, with Rudy, there's also just this like super grifty element where it's also him sort of going to the Ukrainians and saying like, hey, you want access to Trump? You got you got to go through me. Um, and like I've talked to some people over there who like say that's basically what he was doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm so like, tell me something I want to hear. And because Rudy's yeah. also, yeah, Rudy's like, also been doing paid speaking gigs kind of across the world, right. Simultaneously. Right. And like security consulting and quotes in Ukraine. And like, I mean, it, it, the people who have like investigated his like security consulting business, like it, it's not clear what they're actually doing other than just like taking money from like shady people yeah. and like selling like his like reputation. Yeah. Yeah. Shit, like, yeah. Does yeah. that, yeah. it's sort of a, an aside, but does that kind of, does Rudy's sort of lucrative work explain a question that we've been talking about sort of amongst ourselves about who's paying for Rudy's efforts here is it just kind of that he's being able to cash in sort of at the same time it's it's really not clear that's it it's like one of the biggest mysteries about what's going on I mean I yeah, would have I mean, to imagine like, that even if you like it's just obvious that now that he's the president's lawyer and basically that president's like roving ambassador you just show up in a lot of these countries and you say you know show me the money I'm the path to Trump and a lot of people are just going to sign up and 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 uh, and whatever. I mean, it's it, here's something. I don't know if you know. I'm sure you, you probably did, but it, it broke late last night. That what is it, Lutsenko? Who's the not uh, uh, not Shokin, but the next? The, uh, yeah, Lutsenko. Lutsenko okay. Yeah. So he was just he's under investigation yeah. now for some sort of like gambling thing. But it it and he's the guy who, you know, momentarily was on the was on the Biden attack yeah. train and then got off it seemingly because maybe he was trying to leverage keeping his job when when Zelensky came in there's also that also really ties in with the the ambassador Maria Ivanovich who got fired by Giuliani basically right which is that like you know so it's March 2019 um you know the Ukraine's about to have elections and Ivanovich gives this speech in Kiev like criticizing Lutsenko and other like anti-corruption prosecutors there saying like or rather prosecutors there saying you know they're doing a terrible job in corruption they're corrupt you know these people need to be removed and Lutsenko then goes to John Solomon right. and starts like, you know, spreading these like accusations against Yovanovitch and Biden and all these right, people. So right. there's this like moment. Of, Which like, he then recanted later. Like a week right. after a week after she was fired. 
Right. So there was this like moment though of like mutual interest between Giuliani and right. Lysenko where they both needed like dirt to be coming out of Ukraine, and that happens like through John Solomon. Like when when I when I saw that thing last night though, it really because I'm sure a lot of like Democrats are going to say ah he's right. he's also corrupt, but it's really more like this is why we can't that that corruption is so endemic in Ukraine and prosecution is so politicized in Ukraine. Yeah. That it really cannot be a metric by which we run our politics. No, in the and here's States. something that's sort of funny is that one justification that corrupt Ukrainian politicians will use for being corrupt is that they know that when they're out of office, they'll be criminally investigated, so they need to steal to cover oh the advanced legal fees. Well, the, it's just like, but that's <laughs> actually, but that is how countries become, how you get endemic corruption, because if you know the kind of like, okay, I'm in power now. When I'm out of power, I will be deprived of ways to make money and maybe imprisoned. So I got to max out now and get some money abroad so I can be in Austria kind of cooling my, I mean, it, yeah. it, this is the, the, the sort of tragedy of, of again, deep endemic corruption that it becomes endemic and then it is in everybody's self-interest, deep self-interest, not just in the sense of it's your self-interest to be corrupt because you want more money to protect yourself. Right. So I want to, Josh K, I want to ask you about another kind of, overlooked or smaller detail in the transcript between Trump and uh, Zelensky. But before that, let's listen to a brief word from our sponsor. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, so Josh, you wrote a story yesterday with our colleague Matt Shuham about CrowdStrike, which is a cybersecurity firm, basically. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of kind of Trump's hobby horses of things that shouldn't really matter anymore... There was a detail in the in the notes, the readout of the call between Trump and Zelensky, where Trump was talking about, oh, there's maybe this server in Ukraine. Maybe you can help us find it. Yeah, can you, and there's this rich Ukrainian who like might have it. It's wild. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because uh, I think that was one detail from the the whole conversation with Zelensky that yeah. kind of has been overlooked or hasn't been hasn't received as, as much focus as I other mean, parts. This goes to something that Josh just pointed out, which is like how many of these conspiracies like seem to emanate from like Russia somehow. And the crowd the crowd straight thing like it may like, certainly be like an example of that. Um, it's like a mixture of that and also people just like free associating online, which is like not great. But what it is, but so yeah, as David, as you said, like Trump asked Zelensky. Um, it was immediately after Zelensky raised the prospect of military aid. Trump said, uh, okay, you know, can you do me a f like, I, I need a favor though. And then he starts talking about CrowdStrike. So what's CrowdStrike? It's the firm that the DNC hired to investigate and defend itself against Russian hacks in 2016. Um, at the end of 2016, they produced this pretty detailed report saying they concluded that, um, you know, it was Russia who did the hacks. And then they, what they did was they gave an image of their servers, of the DNC servers, um, and CrowdStrike gave its also its own analysis to the FBI. Um, and so that was part of how the FBI concluded, although the FBI did its own investigation independently concluded, you know, relying on their own intelligence sources, 
um, to you know basically attribute the attack to Russia. So the conspiracy theory alleges a number of things. What it basically alleges is that the actual person who is responsible for the WikiLeaks uh, obtaining all the DNC emails was not Russia. It was Seth Rich, who was killed by the Clintons or whatever. You know, horrible, libelous slander. Um, and, and to be clear, he did die. I mean, it did seems die, yeah. like it was, it was just a burglary a, or a ro- yeah, random right, crime. Right, right, and, yeah. and and there's been a to the great distress of his family. Yeah. He's, it's been surrounded by conspiracy theories ever since. Right. And I mean, there was actually some reporting a few months ago about how, like, I mean, Russian trolls like really propagated the theory uh, early on and have have done so to this day. Um, so that's I mean, so that that's part of why they need I mean, CrowdStrike to kind of be playing, playing this role in the theory. Um, and so what the conspiracy theorists allege is that. Um, by not provide by providing an image of the servers by basically providing like a downloaded version of all the data instead of the physical server to the FBI itself that provided a way for CrowdStrike to like basically launder the information and like alter it in a way so that it made it look like it was the Russians. So the, the FBI could just take CrowdStrike's word for it. Exactly, right? and and so and then for some and so then there's also some other stuff. So for example, CrowdStrike was founded. I mean, it's all convoluted and weird, but like CrowdStrike was founded by this Russian a Russian-born guy, Dmitry Alperovitch. He was born in Moscow, um, but he also kind of serves as like a freelancer expert on cybersecurity issues and in that position he uh, is a fellow at the Atlantic Council which is like a DC think tank that's very much known specifically for its advocacy around Ukraine and the Atlantic Council also has on its board and I think in the past has been funded by this guy Viktor Pinchuk who's a Ukrainian oligarch who you know paid $500,000 for Trump to talk at a conference back in 2015 but also contributed to the Clinton Foundation Right. so the kind of free associating like 4chan conspiracy theorists have drawn from that the conclusion that like the server was actually secretly transported to Ukraine and is like hiding out with Viktor Pinchuk a lot of of this (laughs) is, is I mean at least from Trump when you say an image, an image yeah. is like it's a Xerox. It's 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 not just downloading. It's 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 all the data kind of, and where right. the data is on the server. So it it's it's pretty much giving them the server. But even but even like it's in Ukraine, dude. Just just toss it in the trash. I mean, this idea that like this physical thing is being is being stowed somewhere or something like that. But here's yeah. but. It's to, like a very analog way of thinking about yes, it. Yes, but, but yeah. to cut through all this stuff, what I think is key to bring to the surface here, what we are really talking about, this is pushing the idea that the Russians did not hack the DNC, right, right. didn't do any of this stuff, that it was an inside job, and then Russia was framed for it. So that's not just like, oh, you know, some people in the intelligence agencies in 2016 already had a dark view of Trump and started looking maybe before they had good reason. This is a maximal thing. The whole thing is a hoax. There was no Russian interference. Russia didn't do it. It was an inside job, uh, and the and the and you know leaking. It was an inside job leaking the the bad information about the DNC. And when when the Clintons found out who did it, they killed him. I mean, this is is weird, weird shit. And it's yeah. Trump trying to signal, "I won fair and square." It is, and also with Zelensky. And so one of the interesting things about the record of the call is that um, there are a few, like, random points, not random, but there are a few points in the record of the call where there are these, like, ellipses. Um, and those come up in three points. Uh, two of them are during this discussion of CrowdStrike, the Ukrainian oligarch. And then the next one is when Trump um, talks about, like, basically, like, providing negative information about Joe Biden. So there's also this question, and, like, uh, the whistleblower's attorneys, like, one of them, Mark Zaid, has, like, drawn attention to this as well. There's this question of whether or not the, the ellipses are like covering are like 
is it just that it, the conversation was unintelligible and people like weren't able to record what Trump was saying, or is it that there uh, was something removed or altered in the uh, record of the call? Kate, you were going to jump in. Well, I was yeah. going to say it seems that the through line of all of this is exonerating Russia, being like it's a hoax, it didn't happen. Why? What would the other possible motivation be? other than to set the stage for 2020, that if if it happens again, they can point to this stuff again. Because, I mean, I get he won fair and square, but again, I just don't think that vindication is that important to him. I don't think he's that circumspect. And I think in his terms, he has been vindicated right. enough. He's not in it. Well, I mean, he wasn't in any legal jeopardy from Robert Mueller. And, you know, to the surprise and disappointment of a lot of people, Mueller basically said, look, there was a lot of stuff, but it didn't quite piece together in a way that there's a clear crime. I mean, that's good enough. Isn't that good enough? You know, it's good enough. And yeah, no, totally. It doesn't. And even but even like even what you're saying isn't quite like that if they do it again in 2020, it, it, it. at some level, he just seems really committed to exonerating Russia. Like, maybe that's the full stop. Maybe there's not, you know what I mean? It, I, I get what you're saying. It, it kind of, but even that doesn't quite seem Caring to about add up exonerating to Russia just te- seems too selfless of a motive for him. Well, well it's, I mean, obviously we could speculate also, a lot of other <laughs> possibilities. Right. Unless yeah. Trump Tower Moscow yeah. is... You know, full steam ahead after he leaves office or something. Well, I mean, you got, he has to make money once he's out of office, right? I mean, there's Trump Tower of Moscow, I think about. Yeah, but. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, so right. with the CrowdStrike thing, like, I do wonder, because that's not something that's been, like, on Fox or anything like that. It's sort of been, like, I mean, Breitbart has done a lot on it, but I do wonder, like, how he learned about that theory. Because it's, like, pretty, like, the Ukraine, like, oligarch having the, like, the physical uh, server is, like, pretty deep in the internet. Like, and it's not like Trump is like on 4chan or whatever, like reading about this stuff. Like somebody has to be like feeding it to him. Right. He's watching TV. That's, if it's yeah. not there, it's probably not really getting. You know, there was a thing during the 2016 campaign. Um, and I wrote a little bit about it. There was a guy, I think at, at uh, BuzzFeed who wrote a little bit about it. There were a few different times when, and Manafort did it a couple times. And uh, a couple other Trump people where they would go on Fox or go on somewhere and suddenly they would t- start talking about something that seemed random and no one quite knew what they were talking about. Like there was one thing about this like attack on a U.S. military base in Turkey or something. And, and most people just dismiss it because if someone just says something that is like you don't even – I mean it's weird. It's not clear what the, what the point even is. But in several of these cases, you look up and it was something that was an RT like two weeks earlier. And at the time – I was thinking other, you know, the few people who kind of noticed this stuff were saying, all right, look, they're, they're sort of like getting cheered on by these like Russian bots. Um, they probably have sort of pro-Russian friends in Ukraine, someone like Manafort. So they're kind of in the slipstream, right? And these things are kind of coming to them. You know, in retrospect, that seems like a little, that seems like an overgenerous explanation. But there was this thing, like, again, totally random thing shows up on Sputnik or RT and then like a week later Paul Manafort's talking about it on like the Sunday show and you're like dude what is up with that so this is like another example I just remember that happening last year this is like a little bit off topic but it was really interesting um, it was Trump and I think some other like right wing like news outlets started like talking about these like Afrikaner South African families who had re- relocating to Russia 
Oh, that I didn't. And it was, yeah. And like, and and like, and basically the reason that it was very, it was like really racist. It was like the reason that they're relocating was like to flee like this, like horror, like this invasion of like black people basically. Um, and like, it turned out that like it had been like on like Russian, like propaganda networks, like three weeks before there was like no real, like, you know, maybe one dude just, it was literally Russia for vacation. It was, it was one family that moved. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, hundreds of thousands. Like it was sort of being made to seem like, and who said it, who, who like what, what Trump type sort of said something like that. I, I can't recall off the top of my head. But something similar but it was kind like, of thing. Yeah, it was a similar kind of chain. But it was specifically like, but it was like also a narrative that was really kind of like pernicious and going to this like great replacement theory and all that. It was Right, yeah. right, right. So I wondered if maybe we could end talking about Trump's behavior recently. And as, you know, news about Barr comes out, the, the House Democrats impeachment inquiry ramps up. You know, Trump has been endlessly tweeting. He kind of always does that. But in a way, it feels like things are getting a little bit more unsteady. Kate, what's your sense of how he's been acting as all of this unfolds? Well, I think it's funny because before the impeachment inquiry got going, there was so much talk of Trump relishes this fight. He wants it. Um, He thinks it'll rile up his base, et cetera, et cetera. But I think to any kind of observer, even someone who's comfortable with his, you know, 3 a.m. tweeting, it seemed really frenetic recently and even more constant than usual and kind of, you know, a little unhinged, a lot of misspelling. Um, I don't know. It seems to me that for someone who was so excited to get, uh, you know, his knuckles bloodied, he's pretty stressed. (laughs) Well, he also, two things, someone must have done this. But it's clear at these moments, just the sheer number of tweets goes way up. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious to see that graphed. And then the other thing is, he, when he gets in these moods, he goes heavily into the language of disgust. So disgusting, you know, savage, you know, these, these words that are really, I don't know quite how to describe them, but they're, they're, they're words you use when you're fucking angry as hell. Right, and you're saying disgusting, gross, awful. You know, not awful. Awful's too is not good. It was a bad show. I'm not yeah. angry enough to speak. Well, this we language. were talking just before we came into the studio that Trump is in the Oval Office with the President of Finland. It's kind of an official visit, yeah. and he said something about you know he's pissed at Adam Schiff, Schiff, the House Intelligence Committee Chairman, and Speaker Nancy Pelosi had a press conference before this. Trump, instead of I guess assuming preparing for this meeting with another foreign leader spend his time tweeting live tweeting the press conference <laughs> said anyways after this in the oval office trump said something about how Schiff couldn't even carry mike pompeo's jock strap this whole thing i mean he's kind of it's yeah more increasingly graphic terms kind of well i think also trump you know is he's so poll-minded he always has been you know whenever he gets stressed about things and there's like a somewhat positive poll for him he like blasts it out always and i mean the polling on impeachment has been at least to me, pretty shocking. I mean, there was a Quinnipiac poll that came out earlier this week that showed a 20-point net shift in, like, five days, you know, that brought people to being evenly split on impeachment when it used to be, you know... Wasn't it evenly split on removal? Oh, uh, yeah, it was impeachment and removal, removal from impeachment office. Impeachment was actually a, a not a huge majority, but yeah, a majority. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Isn't what, it... 
a little bit sad when Trump tweets like a Rasmussen poll showing 51% approval. Yeah. <laughs> like barely, just barely. Uh, with a fake poll. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. No, it is crazy, though, that public sentiment seems to have shifted on impeachment really, really quickly. And it's, you know, assuming that these polls aren't all, you know, they can't all be outliers and they all seem to be tracking kind of similarly. And I was even surprised by the number of Republicans who were in favor of impeachment. And, you know, that was near like 20, which I don't know, that surprises me that there's that much kind of split off left in the Republican Party. I always wonder with like, I mean, these issues like the Ukraine pressure campaign and like bar going abroad, like how much like kind of it's not really it's a foreign policy issue, but it's also just sort of like a norms thing. And like, you know, wrongdoing by the other side of the by the other side of the aisle. Like, I always wonder how much that actually is going to affect average people's like perception of what's going on and like whether or not they're, it's going to change their view. But the polling really does suggest that it's like had an impact, which is well, interesting. And it also makes me wonder, is it because the Ukrainian story is in some ways easier to follow than the Russia story? Right, it's, it's just a kind of extortion. Like, it's right. Not, there's like, yeah, I mean, there, the so offshoots direct. are yeah. Yeah. the offshoots are very convoluted. But the, the center thing is, you know, he called a president, told him to manufacture dirt on Joe Biden, who everyone knows, you know, so it's like yeah. the characters are known it's you can explain it in one sentence whereas russia was a lot more characters narratives overlap and what is what is the deal like it, right. in, the, in the sense of like here give me the dirt i give you the guns i mean that's really concrete you can yeah. totally understand that it's not like oh don jr said this one thing when he was talking to this one dude on the subway they're on the phone call and you see the transcript you know you see mm-hmm. it's all right there whereas with russia they're helping him. He's kind of like, but like, what is the transaction? And there's a lot more kind of mafiosa-ish language that you're yeah. like, this is what he meant. But on the transcript, you know, he uses the word favor. It could not be more smacking over the head. Also, like, I mean, the way the White House like released this stuff was crazy. Like, it was like 10 a.m. Uh, last week, they released the record of the call. So it dominates the news cycle for the whole day. And then the next morning, the uh, and it was the House Intelligence Committee releases like the complaint itself. So it's just like two days straight. This like one story dominates the news cycle. And like, you can't, everybody in the country hears about it. And you know, at the same like, time, the White House has no coordinated response whatsoever. Yeah, like, They've like already said they're issuing the kind of war room that Bill Clinton had set up. So, and I, I mean, I don't blame them. Who in the world would want to work on comms when Trump is going to undermine everything you do? But it's kind of based on what we said about his reaction. I'm sure it's even furthering the impression to people who are watching, like, this is bad for him. Yeah, when he's on there saying, like, this is a coup, you, you know, th- this guy in Congress <laughs> should be charged with treason. Hardcore Trump people are going to love that. But I think if you're just kind of like a conservative Republican who's happy to put up with his shenanigans as long as you're getting the tax cut and he's owning the libs, you see that and you're like, dude, something's got to you, man. Like, like you seem pretty spooked because you're going out of control. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it it it. Uh, but he, one thing I think on the on the comms front is that we all we all collectively tend to, you know, kind of breeze over this what's the argument like what is the, what's what's the defense what is what is the comm strategy that's true and yeah. you've seen it's pretty hard to find one i mean i'll tell you during having lived through the clinton thing it was i think the vast majority of democrats had a really clear idea on what the defense was it was uh the the one thing that was even arguably impeachable was perjury it's not actually clear he perjured himself. I mean, perjury is, you know, lying is not perjury. It's a very technical thing, blah, 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 blah. But it was part of a civil suit that had nothing to do with his conduct of the presidency. 
it grew out of this sort of squeeze play between a really out of control independent counsel, been working at it for like six years, and this Paula Jones suit. So basically, a lot of Democrats were like, yeah, he fucked up. What the hell was he thinking? Having an affair with this? I mean, we don't quite see it now as an affair, but still, as a, as, you know, how could you do that? But this is a, a, you know, a civil suit, nothing to do with his conduct to the presidency. You've sort of like turned up every single rock you could over years, Vince Foster, all this kind of stuff. And like, no, we're not going to impeach a president over this arguable legal infraction that had nothing to do with his conduct to the presidency. And again, I, I mean, I was there at the time. I felt very comfortable with that argument. I still feel very comfortable with that argument. I mean, we see his his personal conduct differently now, but as a constitutional matter, or as a you know as a as a public matter, still feel entirely uh, fine with that. But here, you're like, <laughs> okay, you know, you used your kind of being commander in chief of the armed forces to kind of get another country to intervene in our election. Like, what could be worse? And even like the DOJ's statements on this, and like a lot of the Republicans, like I mean, have basically they aren't defending like what what's actually going on. Yeah, like, like what about but what about Biden? Yeah, exactly. Or like you know, th- there was this like brief attempt to say that like Obama telling Putin at one point that he would have more flexibility <laughs> was like the same thing, which was crazy. Like, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see Trump this afternoon. This will be the episode will be out after Trump's press conference, but he's holding a with the Finnish joint guy? press conference yeah. with the president of Finland. So. Yeah, it must be fun for him. Yeah, yeah we'll poor see. guy. <laughs> We'll see how it goes. Well, well, before we, before we, Kate, did you see this kind of uh, impromptu thing he had when they were sitting in the Oval Office? I didn't see it. Did, did I think, did we, we didn't no, have video we to, before we, had to we run came in, in right here. Before we, oh, it was so only it was cool reports it, Oh, that okay, got it, yeah. got it, guys. We the didn't actually see the, the affect. Well, we've seen some stills of the Finnish president, though, and he looks <laughs> quite unhappy. Pretty, <laughs> well, pretty stone-faced, yeah, uh, trying to get through it. It's... We we are so much in the moment of crisis that I think it is really hard for us to get our collective heads around just how damaging this is for years into the future. When like it, it, it's 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 a huge thing, and 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 the damage that 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 this does beyond just Trump's specific stuff is 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 really hard to calculate. Yep. All right. On that right. note. <laughs> yeah, on that happy note. Good times, y'all. All right. Oh, uh, remember Grady's cold price coffee. If you are ready to give Grady's a try, get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And also remember, subscribe to TPM. We are in the midst of our drive, and it's really great if you become a subscriber and a member of TPM, which is the website which publishes this podcast. And I mentioned in a post on the site as part of our membership drive, you know, if you listen to the podcast, if you enjoy it, if you've shared it with friends, um, please help us out yeah. join join yeah. as a member it's what makes yeah. it possible and and we want to keep doing it so. yep cool all right later folks thanks right, thank you thanks.